everyone, welcome to the Dear HR Podcast, where we focus on healing people and healing companies. I'm your host, Gabriela Taveras, but you can call me Gabby because we are going to be such great friends. I am so excited for today's episode because the discussion surrounding minimum wage increases has been such a hot topic. For those of you who don't know, I'm the co-founder of Equal Pay Group, which is an organization that focuses on providing diversity and inclusion compensation solutions to organizations. Therefore, we literally eat, breathe, sleep equal pay. And I am so excited to be able to really educate you on what are some of the things that are happening right now in regarding to federal legislation, executive orders, and also be able to hopefully provide you with a how did we get here and what do we do now perspective? Because I think those are really the questions that everyone's finding themselves asking themselves. How did we get here? What does this mean? And where do we go from here? So let's dive in. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, the Biden administration recently publicly championed for a minimum wage increase to $15 an hour. In April, they signed an executive order which required that all new federal contractors be paid a minimum of $15 an hour starting January 30th, 2022. Beyond March 30th, if there are any contract extensions that are going to take place of people who are not obviously new, that new minimum wage must also still be applied. So if you signed a contract and before you were getting $10 an hour, now you'll see under this new executive order that you will be increased to that $15 minimum wage for federal contractors. Now, this $15 is obviously going to fluctuate, and it's really based off of inflation and the changes in the cost of living. I live in Massachusetts, and right now, cost of living here is so, so, so high. I particularly live in Lawrence, Massachusetts, where we're seeing gentrification take place, and people who were from this community, born and raised in this community, can no longer really afford to live here and are moving outside of it. So we're going to see that there is going to be some changes that need to happen with regards to compensation to be able to support people and to be able to provide them with what they need to be able to enjoy their lives. By 2024, we can also expect to see the complete elimination of tipped minimum wage for federal contractors who are paid what is called a sub-minimum wage. Currently, the way that compensation for sub-minimum wage works is let's say the minimum wage is $7.25 and you are paid $3. Your tips would have to equate to $4.25 in order for you to be at that sub-minimum wage. Your tips should make up that $4.25 difference for you to hit that minimum wage point. Now, I know what you're wondering, what does subminimum even mean? And how do we decide who falls within that category? According to the Fair Labor Standards Act, individuals who are paid a subminimum wage are student learners, full-time students employed by retail or service establishments, agriculture or institutions of higher education, and physically and mentally disabled people whose productive capacity is being impaired. What really makes this executive order different from the one that was passed under the Obama administration is that it does also put a stop to justification of sub-minimum wage for these groups of federal contractors, especially those with disabilities. We talk about diversity and inclusion all the time. And so think about the mere fact that there are people that because they have a physical or a mental disability that could be perceived as impeding on their productive capacity is really troubling because it means that we allow room for someone to decide whether or not your quality and caliber of work is something that they believe they should be paying for. 
if you show up to work, you would think that we should all be getting paid, right? So speaking of showing up to work, let's talk about some of the crazy things that are happening in the world today now, which really inspired this podcast. A lot of people don't know this, and it's actually really crazy to me that it's not more prevalent and more discussed in the news, but on May 19th, McDonald's workers are going on strike. Now, May 19th is such a significant day because it's the day before the annual shareholder meeting. At the annual shareholder meeting, they discuss finances, they discuss budgetary decisions, they talk about where have they been, how have they performed, and what is the future of the organization. And right now, McDonald's workers are saying that the future of the organization better be with $15 an hour and better working conditions. Currently, there are 15 U.S. cities that plan to go on a strike, and one of those strikes is actually planned to take place outside of McDonald's headquarters in Chicago, and it's being organized with an organization called Fight for 15. McDonald's has heard the cries of its employees, but has since said that minimum wage laws are dependent upon local governments and federal governments. They expect for the local and federal governments to set that minimum wage and for them to abide by it because really, they're not really breaking any laws. So even though the laws aren't being broken, what does this mean for the people who are being impacted? To really dive into that, I want us to go back in history Get ready, y'all. We about to go back in the time machine. And we are going to go to 1912 during the Bread and Roses strike, which actually took place in my hometown, Lawrence, Massachusetts. For those of you who are unaware, Lawrence is a very big mill city. At one point in time, we had the most beautiful theaters in the world that were located here. And we also were hub to plenty of mills where the Industrial Revolution really was able to be revitalized and factories were booming here. There are so many apartments and office buildings now that used to be mills. And it's so fascinating to see, one, how we're repurposing them, but two, also to have that reminder of where have we been. The Bread and Roses strike of 1912 took place because people were sick and tired of not being paid fairly, equitably, and enough for them to have bread and to have roses. Bread was a symbolization of what are the things that we need to survive? Food, shelter, healthcare, the essentials that really no human being can go without and really are human rights. And the roses are to symbolize the things in life that are beautiful, the things in life that you can enjoy, reminisce. We all have hobbies. We all have things going on that we like to do in our spare time. And people felt as though they were being deprived of the opportunity to be able to provide for their families, but also to be able to enjoy the lives that they were living. Doesn't that sound strangely familiar? Basically, it's the same thing and a different day. So now we're looking at over 100 years ago, people were begging for working conditions that actually was able to sustain them, enough compensation that they're able to afford paying for their necessities and paying for a quality life. And here in 2021, the argument hasn't changed. The demands have always been there. And honestly, the pandemic has exasperated it. The reason why the Bread and Roses strike of 1912 is so significant is because it really started to start that dialogue around workers' rights, around the fact that there needed to be safe working conditions because they had women and children working in these factories where you could literally die from the machinery. Now, here we are in a pandemic where anyone working at a McDonald's for the case of this argument is considered an essential worker. So every day they show up to work to make sure that we have something to eat, but they're just as afraid for their life as we are about our lives. 
And so what are we doing to help give them a little bit more peace of mind to know that they're going to be okay? If we're not going to do universal health care, can we at least compensate them in a way that allows them to be able to save if something were to happen? I don't know about you, but I got a medical bill one time and it was $300 and it was this x-ray that I was told to get by a professional, by my doctor. And when I saw that bill, I was like, well, one, why do I pay for insurance if you're going to bill me $300 for a 10 minute x-ray? And two, oh my gosh, if I didn't have savings, I don't know how I would have gotten out of this situation. And how many Americans live that way? Most Americans don't even have $1,000 saved in their bank account because they can't afford to. So why now? We know now that Americans don't really have the luxury of always being able to save money. We see that this is a recurring pattern, but why now should we be doing something about it at this moment in history? Well, thank you for asking. I have three reasons why this should be happening right now. So get ready, y'all, because we are about to go through some things. Reason number one. We have heard that raising the minimum wage to $15 will lift around 900,000 people out of poverty, but in doing that, it could also cost us 1.2 million jobs. Now, obviously, if you're a numbers guy, you look at it as 900,000, 1.2 million. This is a no-brainer. It's not going to happen. But what people aren't talking about is how in about 10 years from now, 40% of the jobs that exist today that require physical labor aren't even going to exist because that is the future. The future is how do we make it simple and how do we keep the cost low? And the way that you do that is by giving really redundant work to technology, robots, machines. I mean, think about it. Before people used to literally have to give a letter to somebody so they could go ride their horse to the next village over and be able to deliver that message. Now you can just send a text message. So we're always looking for ways to be able to make things easier and faster, especially now with the pandemic where everyone was used to working in office and they had to transition to working from home. And now that everyone's working from home, nobody really wants to go back to work. Why? Because it's just easier this way. We don't have to wake up, deal with the morning commute, get ready if we don't want to. We only have to talk to people when we have to talk to people, which is great, especially for individuals who are low-key on that more introverted or I hate it here vibe. So if the future is technology, if the future is automation, then we need to start investing in the future right now. We've already seen how organizations have laid off millions of people due to outsourcing administrative or teachable skills to other countries. And while I'm not arguing that I don't understand that business case, because I definitely do, especially as an MBA student, I am saying that if you provide your present workforce with the security so it is possible for them to advance their skills so they can be better assets in the future, then why wouldn't you do that? Why is that off of the table and why is that not an option? When you fail to allow your current employees to be able to invest in themselves, invest in their children by not providing them a $15 minimum wage, which could really help a lot of people, you not only strip those individuals from the security that they could feel today of knowing that they can afford any travesties or unexpected incidences that could happen, it also strips them of the security that they'll be able to provide for themselves in the future when their skill set has been automated. That is what we need to be focusing on, 
not necessarily how do we save money, but how do we at least invest in the workforce that we have so they can actually go and be able to better serve themselves, their communities, and hopefully our organization as well. Now, I have a really strong example for you, but it also ties into my reason number two. And reason number two as to why is it that now is the perfect time to increase the minimum wage to $15 is that it improves wellness and hence productivity. A perfect example is Dan Price. For those of you who aren't familiar, Dan Price is the CEO of Gravity Payments. And he actually did something that was super, super, super unexpected way back when in 2015. He took a personal $1 million pay cut to raise his company's minimum salary to $70,000 a year. Now, of course, this wasn't always well received. Some people called him a socialist and a communist and said, you are absolutely absolutely insane. Why would you do that? And it even cost them some business as well as certain customers said that that wasn't something that they wanted to be a part of. It felt like a super political move and they didn't want to make a super political statement. Even people within his organization that were higher leveled, higher paid employees, they even left the organizations because they felt like the pay raise was unfair to them. So this really just goes to show that one, regardless of what we do, someone's always going to be upset. But at the end of the day, Dan was still able to really reap the rewards and be able to show us such a compelling and different perspective on why is it that equal pay and why is it that paying a living wage is so important. In just five years, now again, remember, this happened in 2015 when he took that pay cut. In five years, they were able to increase their processing volume from $3.8 billion to $10.2 billion. Before the pay raise, less than 1% of the company was even able to purchase a home because they were in Seattle, which is a very expensive market. Now, five years later, 10% of the company's employees actually own their own homes. So again, he realized that in doing this change, in doing something that was very untraditional, unorthodox, that it actually ended up benefiting his organization because they were able to gain a level of stability that a lot of these people were not able to. In four and a half years, they had more than 40 babies. 40 babies, y'all. Imagine, imagine going from zero to two babies born a year to 40 babies, more than 40 babies being born because people felt like they could actually afford to have families. These are the things that we're all supposed to be talking about when we're having this dialogue. We're also obsessed with the business case about why we should or should not be increasing the $15 minimum wage. When we really should be focusing on, if we do this, what does this do and mean to our people? Because when the pandemic hit and Dan's only two options were to either lay off 20% of his workforce, which is about 40 employees, or declare bankruptcy, every single person within his organization was willing to take very big pay cuts to save the organization because they loved it so much and they appreciated what it was that Dan was able to provide them with in the first place, which is a quality life and security and the things that they need to survive. Going back to originally what I had said over 100 years ago, give me bread, but give me roses too. Now, I'm not just saying that having babies and buying houses is the only thing that matters or that is the side effect of doing good work, doing the Lord's work, of paying people a living wage. 
There's even been individuals within his organization that said that now that they were able to actually afford spending money on health, they were able to lose weight, which ultimately really did benefit their health and their wellness. It also helps people be able to eliminate those stressors that exist beneath the surface. I was watching a 60 minute segment where David Williams, who is a Harvard researcher, created a really compelling argument regarding weathering. Now, weathering is basically imagine walking down a sidewalk and let's say that there's a drop of water that hits the sidewalk. Now, if that drop of water hits the sidewalk, it's not really going to affect it, right? It's a sidewalk. It's made for that. However, if you had a consistent drop of water on one spot of the sidewalk, eventually beneath the surface, it'll start to break. It'll start to actually crack and break and do what is called weathering. When we don't pay people a living wage, when we allow the wage gap to exist, when we allow things like systemic racism, which has been found to actually cause black and brown people to become ill, all of those things are byproducts of weathering. You expect people to show up, you expect them to show up regardless of the working conditions that they're in. You don't really wanna pay them more than what you're paying them because you don't see the immediate value in shareholder return at this time. But beneath the surface, these people are struggling. Beneath the surface, these people need help. If they show up to work and give 100%, and technically they're the face of your organization because they're the ones that we're interacting with the most, then why is it that we are so, so, so hesitant to doing something that serves in their best interest when every day they are expected to show up and perform their duties in your best interest? That's just food for thought. I just don't understand why it's a one-way street of caring. If I care enough to show up, then you should care enough to make sure that when I leave here, I'm at least able to feel like the sky isn't falling all of the time simply because I can't afford to live the life that I was meant to live. And this life isn't one of yachts and all that crazy stuff. I mean, I'm sure that there are people who feel that way. But $15 an hour isn't really going to cut it if you're trying to build that lifestyle, at least not starting off, because it would require investments, it would require so many different things. The $15 an hour at least gives people that peace of mind of knowing that if the sky's falling, that they're gonna be okay, and that they can afford to keep a roof over their head, food on the table, and also be able to allow themselves and their children and family members to live a quality life. I'm gonna say it again, give me bread and give me roses. Just give them to me already. Now my last reason as to why now is such an important time for this work to be done is because it will cost your organization. I am telling you, it will cost your organization. Whether you believe it will or it won't, it will. Because the service and food industry is mostly comprised of black and brown people, in particular women, which is why we saw in the pandemic that women were so heavily impacted by the financial losses that existed at the beginning of the pandemic because they couldn't work, they weren't able to bring the income that they expected. A recent example of an organization that really just did all of the things wrong is Chipotle. Chipotle was recently sued by the city of New York for violating a law that requires fast food chains to give their employees sta stable schedules. That lawsuit was filed on April 28th. Since then, the claims that have been filed against Chipotle have shown that there is almost 600,000 violations of the law, and $151 million is now owed to the workers because of the workplace violation. Now, while the law that Chipotle technically violated was called the Fair Work Week Law, which was passed in 2017, 
and really just talks about giving workers good faith estimates of when and how much they're going to work, predictable work schedules, and the opportunity to work newly available shifts before hiring new workers. The workers were complaining that there was poor working conditions. And a part of those poor working conditions was also the mere fact that they just weren't being paid in a way that was sustainable. Since this lawsuit has happened, Chipotle released a statement saying that they will now be paying a $15 average hourly wage by the end of June. And to be more competitive with their peers, they've also introduced a $200 employee referral bonus for crew members and a $750 referral bonus for apprentices or general managers. We oftentimes see within the compensation industry that organizations will do this like backpedal, backpedal, that is becoming a very frequent trend that we are starting to see with organizations. Google recently had a lot of issues and ended up paying $1.36 million to about 1,500 female engineers because of unequal pay. Amazon is all over the news all the time about how there are boycotts and strikes and people within the fulfillment centers who are complaining about the working conditions and the compensation that they're receiving because they aren't being paid with hazard pay. The conversation literally goes on and on. And my point in saying all of these things and in showing you these three reasons as to why is it that that now is the time for us to act is because equality is good business. In light of everything that has happened with the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 and 2021, many of these companies' workers are finally fed up. We hear everyone committing to diversity, inclusion, and competence. But using excuses like local, state, and federal laws as a means of explanation why a $15 increase isn't possible, like very strong air quotes on possible, defies all of the truths, again, very strong air quotes around the word truths, that they shared. Most of the workforce at these organizations are black and brown people. They're people of color. And so in choosing to deny them a living wage, you deny the opportunities that you swore to providing them with. It becomes what I am now calling the circle of insanity, where you do something, you say you're sorry, you hope everyone forgets, and then you do it again. We are perpetuating a vicious cycle where we say and believe and preach and we put in our reports that we are going to achieve some level of DNI, but we aren't actually willing to put the step and the work behind it to ensure that that is actually something that we are working towards. Just over a hundred years ago, we literally talked about this. Give me bread and give me roses. In 2021, we're still talking about this. Give me bread and give me roses. We're repeating our footsteps as if we've learned nothing. And in this day and age when knowledge is accessible by all who have an internet or a cell phone connection or anything at all, there's really no excuse. Investing in your people is never a waste because when you invest in them, you show them that you believe in them. When you tell someone who's been told their entire life that no one believes in them, that they're a statistic, that they're not going to amount to much, we take that seriously. And I say we because I am one of those people. I was in the restaurant industry, I was a hostess, I was a waitress, I've done sales jobs, I've done retail, I've done it all. And if there was ever a piece of feedback that I wish I could give my previous employers is invest in me now because you have no idea what I'm capable of. Now, obviously they're not gonna reap the benefits of that because sis is on and popping and she don't need y'all, okay? <laughs> Got my little podcast, all right? But there are so many other people like me and even better 
who are extremely overlooked. And for what? Profits, shareholder dividends, it may cost you now, but you'll end up reaping the rewards in the long run. Right now, the three most important thing that workers think of are cultural fit, compensation, and advancement. We have seen all of the memes of corporate life and how dreadful it can be, and we literally, Instagram has just become one big HR roasting fest. Like, if we could classify, I think, any app as an HR violation, it's probably Instagram because that's where all of the tea is spilled all of the time. So what does that mean? What does it mean now that everyone's starting to talk about these things that they don't like about their day jobs? What it means is, is that now people are becoming aware of the fact that they don't need to work for you. All you need is some level of capital or an internet connection or anything at all. You don't even have to have product because you can drop ship. But the moral of the story is, is people don't need you. You need the people. Because as we move away from being a large exporter in products and goods, because the United States is lacking in that department in comparison to India and China, for example, we are going to become a skill set based country because we don't have the infrastructure to compete with other countries that develop products. And so we can't compete. We need to invest. Invest in education, invest in skill sets, invest in management training, invest in the futures of the people who we have showing up every day for us, even when it's hard, even when they don't know how to, even when they feel like the sky is falling, they still show up. And now it's time for these larger organizations to show up for them as well. No one's expecting that they're going to be a cultural fit anymore, y'all. No one cares about being a cultural fit, especially when you have remote work. What they care about is what is it that you plan to do to help them. So help them. Just give it a try. See what happens. Because I promise you, when you do, like Dan Price did, you will see those returns. And when you see, it's like going to the gym. You don't want to go. You know it's going to hurt. You know you have to pay to be there. Like, what is that mess? I have to pay to go to this place, to be in pain, to sweat. And I don't even want to be here. Yes, that is all correct. However, when you go to the gym consistently for a couple weeks, a couple months, you see the return on your time and your investment and your work. That is what you can do for people and with people today. You want to be better? You want to make more money in the long term? Guess what? It starts by raising that minimum wage. So that is all that I have to say today about this topic. I am so, as you can see, super passionate about this. If you're an organization or know of an organization that is looking to address compensation issues, build out a compensation program, pay equity compliance, or looking for pay equity trainings, any of the above, please let me know and make sure that you fill out a contact form on our website, equalpaygroup.com, so we can be in touch and establish what is it that we can best do to serve you and to serve your people. Because really, your employees, they're your people. They show up every day to make your dreams come true. So let's start showing up for them. If you love the content in this podcast, please make sure you subscribe. Please leave a review and let me know what your thoughts were. I would really love for this to be a space where we can create dialogue and talk about these really compelling issues that are happening that I don't think get really enough airtime, honestly, for how much it is that they affect our day-to-days. Stay tuned because I am so excited for what we have in store for this podcast. It's been a dream in the making for quite some time, and I'm just so excited that now we're able to share in this dialogue together. Talk to you later.